0: Good morning. How's everything? How are you guys? I enjoyed our time last week. It has, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that actually has started great work in my life. And I'm looking forward to all that God has uh, for, for us all through this um, word. And today also, is kind of similar. And it's in that same neighborhood. Uh, we'll go to John chapter 3. And we will look. John chapter 3 starting verse one, and we have this phrase we throw around very casually, and we, and, and we think we know what it means, maybe not always, but it's very vital and important, it's burning in my heart, and it is the newborn experience, the conversion experience, what it is and why is it so important, and how is it that some of us have experienced it and still live as though we're dead? Let's read from John chapter 3, starting verse 1. It's a bit long, but we'll, we'll get through it. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is, when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is Everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Dear Jesus, I pray you open our hearts to hear what it is that you want to speak to us today. I pray you help me communicate it. Dear Jesus, you are life itself. You are the bread of life. You are the stream of living water. Water that's alive, that's able to quench all of our thirst, come into every crack of our lives and soothe and heal. Right now, do just that as your words promise. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll start from talking about, let's just start from Nicodemus's profile. Who is he? Nicodemus is a Pharisee, it says. And Pharisees are all over the scriptures. I looked at it about 99 times in the Bible. They are very influential religious groups in Israel kind of like in the west we have the evangelical christians now who are very strong religious movements they're not political but they can shake and move things politically right they can appoint presidents or they can lobby things they they can make things happen right Kind of like that, this, but more so in this region because majority of the population is very religious. Not so much in the U.S. It's a bit secular. But in this world, majority of the nation is very religious and they listen to them. Even though the nation is under the Romans' rulership at the time, these people, they make things happen. They're the ones that made sure Christ was crucified. They went to Pilate and they said, we have no authority to crucify him. But you must do this. And he didn't want to get at odds with them. None of them wanted to get at odds with them. They did exa- he, they, he did exactly what they wanted him to do. They were very traditional, and they were uh, very concerned about with the outward appearance. It mattered what the outward looked like. It didn't matter what kind of life you lived behind closed doors. As long as you throw in a filter in it, on it, it looks good, it, and make it look good. That's all that mattered. Don't worry, I, I have lots of filters too. I use them, and uh, they believe in the power of the mass. They move in mass. They're very strong and uh, powerful group, and he's one of them. Not only that, he's also the leader of the Jews, the Jewish uh, ruling party, or whatever you might want to call it. They're called the Sanhedrin. And there he's 71 court members. He's one of them. He's very influential, very well-to-do, very respected man. And this man, with all of his accolades and his rope and his turban and whatever he may have, he comes at night to Jesus. He needed the night to come to Jesus. He did not come to Jesus at nights because he was working by day. No. He came by night because he had a lot at stake. He had a lot to cover. He had a lot to protect. He had a lot to defend. So if he came by night, there was a lot It was going to be a lot of inconvenience for him. He didn't want to be inconvenienced. There was going to be a lot of questions why he went there. So he had to protect his title, his ethnicity, the knowledge, the religious knowledge that he had. He had so much to protect. Remember last week we talked about this man, the invalid, the 38-year invalid. His problem was he had no one. He even had no name. And there was a gap between who he wanted to be and who he is. It was filled by a lot of nothingness. I am nothing. I am nobody. I have no one. No one knows me. No one is willing to move or stir things for me. That is what filled his gap. He didn't have anybody. Nicodemus' problem was that he had everybody. Everybody. He still had a gap. He still needed to come to Jesus searching for something. But his gap was filled by a lot of titles, a lot of accomplishments. Isn't it interesting? The greatest hindrance to become all that we can become is sometimes the things we have accomplished. That's the trash we need to empty. That's the trash Nicodemus needed to empty. He had to cover and protect and not be inconvenienced in order to protect these things. You see, the 38-year invalid, he he could not stretch high enough because he didn't feel worthy. He didn't think he had the help. But this man did not want to go low enough to do what the Lord is asking him to do, to be all that he can be. And if we're honest, there's a lot of us. The home we come from, the family's influence, our education, what we have done for the Lord, the title they gave us, they called us pastors now. All of these things are not allowing us to go low enough to do whatever it is that he's wanting us to do. This is the trash we, to, we need to empty. This is the pin. This is the, the one rope that we need to. Imagine for a second if, if Nicodemus, after this wonderful conversation with Jesus, he would decide to just follow him. Can you imagine the rope he had to take off? The turban he had to take off? The relationships he had to lose? The position, the stature he had to lose in the social circle? Can you put yourself in his place? The brothers and the sisters and the friends, the dinner parties, he would not be invited anymore. The number of people that would unfriend him. Can you imagine? But there was a lot at stake. Life and death was at stake. So at the night, the shadow of the night, he would come to Jesus and he has a burning question to ask him even though he didn't want to be inconvenienced as we also are a generation who didn't or does not want to be inconvenienced let me tell you my friends i come to find out your calling and your conv- conviction are like water and oil when you combine them with your convenience it's so not inconvenient it's not it's so not convenient your calling is not convenient we are attached at a hip sometimes with those who we grew up with, with family members. But Jesus had made it clear. So he came, I'll come back to it. And then he came and, and, and he is very inquisitive. He, he has a burning question. He, 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 has, he has so much to ask. He is very intrigued by Jesus. He's very interested by Jesus. He says, I've seen the signs you do. And I have come to inquire. I think you're a little bit more than what I thought you were. And I want to know. I want to draw from this world. I want to know who you are. I want something that you have. But still, I'm not ready to commit. So I need the night to cover me a little bit. I'm not ready to commit. It's not like our generation. Forever browsing. Forever searching. Never committing. Never committing. I was telling the earlier service how even the apps have gotten, gotten to know us. So if they've seen something you've been searching for a while, they start feeding you that. Right? We are forever searching and never committing to anything. Our commitments are... He is, he's not willing to give his all and be thrown into it. But he wants to ask, Lord... What, who are you? So, I love how he came, but he came for a wonderful conversation, not for a change. He came for a sermon. I want to ask you, every morning when we wake up and come to church, what are we coming here for? I really want to know, why are you here? Do you mind me asking? Why are we here? He came to be motivated. He came to be encouraged. He probably came to get another pin on his religious robe. But he didn't come to be transformed, that's for sure. He didn't come to be all in. He didn't come to sacrifice all, to put all on the line. And he didn't come to say, I am given, I am sold for this purpose. He came to be motivated. How many times do we come to church to to be motivated? You know, Jesus, when he saw John, he asked the people, Why did you come? Did you come to see a reed being swayed? Or or who has sold you to be uh, warned from the wrath that is to come? Did you come to be transformed or did you come for the show? Sunday morning. Sunday morning. And he came at night, and there's no electricity, at, at, mind you, at that time. I think Thomas Edison invented this thing at the 15th century. There's no light, so there's a lamp. So they're at each other's face having this conversation. And Jesus is leaning into him. He's willing to spill his gut, so to speak, because there's nothing he's, willing, not, he's not willing to tell this man. He's, there's nothing he's not willing to tell our generation, you and I. The inquiring, the inquisitive, the intrigued but they're never committing, they never want to be inconvenienced generation. There's nothing he's not willing to tell us. Let me tell you, we, if you know, uh, one of the most popular scripture in the New Testament was told to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. If you want to share the gospel in a nutshell, that's the scripture to give them, John 3, 16. He, there was nothing he wasn't willing to tell him. He spills his gut and he tells him, and he comes for the throat. This man is coming for a facelift. He's coming for a paint job. Jesus is coming for demolition. He's coming to tear it down and to build it back up. He's never coming safe. I I, I think, is it the Chronicles? I think the writer says, He is good, but He is not safe. He's talking about Jesus, the lion. He is good, but He's not safe. Jesus is good, but he is not safe. He's coming to tear it down and to rebuild it back up. Because there was another man in the scripture that was similar to this who came to Jesus at one point and asked, how do I enter the kingdom of God? And you find him in Mark chapter 10 and the rich young man. He said, how can I enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, well, you know the law, do them. And he says, I've done them all. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him just like he loves you. He loves me. He loves this generation. He looked at him and he loved him. And there wasn't nothing he wasn't willing to tell him. He said, Go and sell all that you have. And the man had a problem with that, obviously, because he did not want to be inconvenienced or he did not want to be committed. But this is one thing that Jesus told him. He said, If anyone gives up his brother, his sister, mother, and father, and land for my sake or the gospel, There is no one who will not inherit a hundredfold on earth and then eternal life. I find that phrase interesting. Highlight bold for me. Underline. Which part? He said, if you do not sacrifice, all you are not worthy. But I am going to come for the throne. I am coming for all. I love all of you. Not half of you. I don't want some of you. I want all of you, all of your mind, all of your heart, all of your job, all of your knowledge. I want all, all of you. Is it me or is there anybody in the house who loves romantic movies? I love them. Oh. <laughs> and uh, the notebook is one of my favorite. And there's a phrase. There's a phrase there, uh, I, I'm sure some of you would know, and some of you might not, but that's okay. So, uh, Noah comes to, well, well, Rachel comes back to Noah, and they're having a conversation. She's about to leave him, and he's so mad, and he's trying to convince her to stay with him. And this is a popular romantic scene. If you YouTube Google it, say the most romantic movie scene, and that is the part where he looks at her in the eye and he says, I want you, I want all of you, you and me, forever it kind of breaks your heart <laughs> well okay <laughs> i'm i'm trying to tell you that is how that is what a heart of man really draws to it breaks your heart makes you cry I cry every time i see it because that is what a heart's desire a man's desire is unfailing love in proverbs God loves all of you. He doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. So he's coming to Nicodemus. He's coming full heartedly. He's about to tear it all out, down and he wants him. Amen. The uncommitted generation, he wants all of you. But he has this, he doesn't even have a question. He has a statement to Nicodemus because he doesn't even know what to ask. He is intrigued, but he doesn't even have a proper question. But Jesus looks past his statement right into his heart, right into his desire, and decides to answer the question of his heart. And he tells him, he tells him, unless you are born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or first he says, you will not see the kingdom of God. Unless you enter into the, unless you are born again, you will not See, it's on verse 3, the first one. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see. Can you say see? See. And then later on, he tells him on verse 6, unless you are born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not enter the kingdom of God. The first is you will not see the kingdom of God. And then you'll say you will not enter the kingdom of God. This is very vital. And in earlier I wanted you to highlight and bold a certain something. And where that's in Mark chapter 10 when he said, when Jesus said to him, if you give up your brother, your mother, your sister, uh, and, and, and land and houses for me and, my, and the gospel, you will have a hundredfold on this earth Say on this earth, a hundredfold in this old and eternal life to come. So he says both. Say both. And he says to him here you will not see the kingdom of God nor will you enter into the kingdom of God. You will not see what the Lord is doing in your life right here and now. Nor will you enter into the kingdom of God after this world. It's both. The born-again experience gives you here and now and forever after. Amen? Amen? It's very, very, very important to know this. Because it gives you a litmus test to your connectedness to your conversion experience. Okay, I, I, earlier also I went offside and told the story. I guess it was meant to be. There's a, there's a story in Luke chapter 16 about a rich man who, do you know remember him? He had... Uh, linen clothes, purple, and it talks about the food he eats. He has feast after feast and he eats well and he's wealthy and he's rich and the right outside of his door there's a poor man who lays on the ground. His name was Lazarus. His name is Lazarus, which means God is my help. And this rich man dies. The Bible says here the poor man dies. It says period. The poor man dies and then the rich man dies and he was buried, which means he had a Luxurious going home party for him. But then they die and they cross over to the eternity. And on the other side, there's a very interesting conversation that takes place that will teach us about how it's both. It's here and there. And the conversation goes this rich man says, I am burning, I am tormented here, I am sick. Will you send Lazarus for me to dip his hand into the water and please quench my thirst? Do you remember that story? And it's very interesting. I find it very, very interesting. Because in that story, you find that this rich man obviously did not go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because the only identity the Bible tells us that he has is his wealth and his prominence, his stature, his title is the only identity that is written for this man. Lazarus had nothing else but God is my help. Amen? Amen? Lazarus' name means God is my help. His only identity written for him is that God is his help. And the rich, wealthy man, his identity, there is no name. There is nothing written except what he has and what he has attached his identity to. And they die, and he I find that funny. He says to him, please send Lazarus for me so he can dip his finger and quench my thirst. Imagine. Wow. We move to the other side of this life and life goes on just like this one. And he still thinks he's rich and he still thinks Lazarus is his slave. He, that's the job of a slave. They, they, they bring water and they make sure you're, you're, you see what I'm saying? He still thinks that I'm the rich. I mean, I find that so, I don't know how to explain to you. You know, when I meditated this, this is what I said. I said, I mean, even if hell is not fire, if we take this mind with us for eternity, that's hell enough. He just moved just the way he is. What I am saying is that this born-again experience is so vital that we take whatever and whoever we are with us. Is that clear? And so the rich man goes into the other side and is still living in regret. It still goes on. I actually didn't say this in the earlier service, but he goes into the other side and he says, please, can you please send Lazarus then to my brothers so they don't come here? They have no one to tell them. So he still has bitterness for no one telling him. I don't know. I don't know if you guys are catching it. What I'm saying to you is, whoever we are here, it's not like it's going to end here. The peace we make... With God is going to be what peace we have for eternity. The fruitfulness we have here is a measurement. So he tells him unless you are born again, there is no kingdom to see or to experience. This is very important that night as they're talking he tries jesus with all of his heart tries to convince this man this is the way i am the way in this generation in this church in the new, in the believers community all we thought we think about when we think of the newborn experience or the conversion experience is that we think of converting from one religion to the other, whether to, from the Orthodox to the Pentes or the Catholics to this or that. That is what we think is the new birth experience. But according to Jesus in this scripture, if you are born of flesh, you must have the experience of being born in the spirit. There is that transition awaits every single human being. Have you had the newborn experience i'm sure you're not confused about whether or not you're born in the flesh you kind of celebrate that every year so if you're confused make sure it's not a confusing matter to you that you'll have a newborn experience if whenever i talk about this does it take you to a moment to a place where you were born and new in christ does it take you to that place if it doesn't, you've got to make sure it, you, that happens in your life. Because without that experience, there is no kingdom of God for you. There is no kingdom of God for you. But it is open for you to choose to decide now. The will, the decision is kept only for the side of eternity. Only for the side of eternity. And it is very vital before I move on. Just because you come to church every Sunday, it doesn't give you that experience. If you are born of flesh, you must make sure you are born of the spirit. And this man, though a religious teacher of Israel, is so confused by this whole thing. He asks us two, three times, how could this be? How does this work? How Can you tell me the technicality of how these things happen? How does a person get born again? Does he enter into the mother's womb? How does I want to know details. Isn't that us? Isn't that us? I want to know the details. How does this thing work? And Ecclesiastes chapter, five, chapter 11, 5 says, just like you don't know a wind, where it comes and where it goes, just like that, just like you do not know how a child is formed in a mother's womb, how a flute enters and turns into a bone. You have no idea at what point it turns to a person. Just like that, you do not know the work of the man, the God who makes everything. So this, how do I turn, how do I transfer into this spiritual being? Is the minute you say yes to the ways of God, God makes it happen. God makes it happen. Uh, Paul had this uh, interesting conversation with the people at the time. Uh, that he's trying to explain to them about resurrection after death. And they ha- were confused. How does this happen? How do you die and have been buried and your body decays and have life after? In what body do you live? Do you live? They were confused and they were asking, how does this happen? And he says, foolish one, what you sow is not made of alive and made alive unless it dies. But when it dies, God gives him a different form and body. If you sow a seed, it comes a completely different plant. In the same way, when you die and you decay, God gives you another spiritual body. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You do not know the work of God, but, it, but, but Jesus is trying to talk and convince Nicodemus and he says, look at here, look here. If you are born of flesh, you do need it to be born in the spirit. I am telling you, Jesus says, I am telling you what I know. I am ex- telling, witnessing to you what I have seen. This is how it works. Okay. That's one. And two is... How is it then that those of us who are born again have experienced the conversion experience still live as though we're dead? As though we are not productive and effective. How does that happen? I'll just say this and we'll finish. It's not. Jesus asked the man, the invalid man. Right after he was cured, we don't know how he was cured. He was cured. Instantly when he encountered Jesus, he was healed. Your encounter with Jesus makes you whole. Your encounter with Jesus makes you whole. But what furthers your healing is you living out of that experience repeatedly and forever. I'm going to say that again. Your encounter with Jesus will make you whole. Your salvation experience makes you whole. But your willingness, your commitment, your willing to be inconvenienced, to live out of that new birth experience is what continues your wholeness, your productivity, your, your, your life. Amen. See, Nicodemus... He had this a powerful conversation with Jesus. Can you imagine? He is life itself, Jesus. Yeshua, as we were singing. He had this powerful conversation with Jesus, and then he goes. And then the next time you hear of Nicodemus is in chapter 7. After Jesus stands in the great uh, holiday or the feast, and he tells everyone, if anyone is thirsty, come, let him drink, and I will give you water, a living water which shall stream out of his belly. And he tells this. Uh, amazing promise and at that point the rulers of the Jews have asked some officials go and capture Jesus because he's messing up things for us just get him and come back come here but they come without him and they ask him why did you not catch him and then they answered because the whole town is following him and we have not heard anyone speak like this they pretty much say that we are amazed we are intrigued he is powerful and then within that Group of leaders that sent to capture Jesus was Nicodemus. He was there. The Bible says it. Nicodemus speaks up, still interested in Jesus, still intrigued by Jesus. He says, Our law gives the man who's accused a chance to speak before trial. Can we just bring him and allow him to speak? And everybody looks at him and says, Are you also deceived? Can you imagine still touched, still wrestled by the Spirit of God within him? I really, really labor in my spirit in sharing this word with you because that is us. Nicodemus didn't even know it. It seems like sometimes we even don't know it, how the Spirit of God is wrestling and tugging with us to be committed, to be inconvenienced by the will of God be interrupted by God. You know Jesus lived it and showed it. Jesus was constantly interrupted. He would be going into town and he sees a dead man a dead body being escorted out of town and he would be willing to stop, to be interrupted, to be inconvenienced and to go touch his body. And there was another time when he was on his way to heal somebody's daughter who, had, who was near death and then in the moment somebody asked him and talks to him about his servant. He was willing to stop his plan and be inconvenienced. In our generation I feel like we're a, we, we a train that no one will stop. But we have no idea where we're going. We're just chugging along. Just chugging along. But I feel the Holy Spirit is asking us today number one, check your conversion experience. Number two, Make sure you're living out of that conversion experience. You see, he went back and he started living as business as usual. He was part of the the group that called Jesus for persecution. But God is merciful. That wasn't where his story ended, right? We've talked about this from the stage once. There was a time. Time came when Jesus was crucified. And he was suspended on the cross. And somebody needed to bring his body before the Sabbath from the cross. And and Nicodemus and his friend, Joseph of the Armethea, they got together and they counseled with one another again at night. And they said, this man, oh, that's beautiful. This man, though I did not follow him as I should when he was alive, today as he's suspended between earth and sky, I pick up my hand and be willing to be inconvenienced. He was willing to be inconvenienced because he is a Pharisee. He's not allowed to touch a dead body. Anyone who touches a dead body was cursed. But that day he made a choice to stick out. No matter what the questions, no matter the persecution, no matter what I have to leave behind, I am to lay it all down. I am all in. I am going to follow all the way. I challenge you, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, are we all in or do we just dress up and come to church to be entertained, living unfruitful, walking around but crippled, have eyes but have no vision, has no direction, has no purpose, can we just jump into the pool? Would we stop just dipping our toes in the water to see if it fits and if it's convenient? You will be fruitful. You might be inconvenienced, but you definitely will be fruitful. It reminds me of the time when God asked me to move out to here. I remember I had a plan. I had a plan. You better believe it. I had a plan. And the plan was not this, but I had a plan. Uh, I grew up in the business with my father, so business was a thing for me. I loved it. I thrived in it. And when I was in the States, and when we decided to follow Jesus, things were different. Again, you will be inconvenienced. You would be asked to leave mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. I actually had that scripture on my fridge in the States for years. Believing the promise of a hundredfold on this earth and eternity afterward. And sure enough, a hundredfold brothers and sisters, watch. And in that day, and the day came, and so in the States, I, I, I helped my mother. Now, my mom was a first-generation uh, immigrant. It was difficult, of course, to find a job. And if you know my mom, it's interesting. She's hardworking and fun. So uh, I, I had to work 40 hours a day in high school, 40 hours a week in high school as I went to school. And, uh, and, and, and I liked it. I really liked it. I felt like the boss. I paid the rent at 17 and 18. I I did everything. Everybody consulted with me. I loved it. (laughs) But in that moment, my mom and my aunt, who are really hardworking, they they, they, talk about my 40 hours. Forget it. When it compares to theirs, it was a joke because they worked three hours. I mean, three jobs in a week. Monday to Friday, 16 hours, and Sunday, 8 hours. They were tired, and they saved up money, and they consulted with me, and they said, we have a plan. We have money, and we have a plan. We wanted to franchise a gas station, but they wouldn't let us without someone who has a business education background. And I was at the time in college uh, um, taking um, marketing and business. And they said, you are it. We are about to break through. <laughs> we are about to break through, and you are the person. And between the two of them, there are nine kids, and two others, they help, so 11 Uh, so I said oh great but then as I was worshiping as I'm coming in and out into the presence of God there was a challenge and a a tugging in my heart I couldn't put my finger on it I didn't know what it was so I constantly stayed in prayer and stayed in worship and stayed in pursuit just like Nicodemus did what is it that you want from me what is it that you are asking me and one morning I was next to my bed and praying on the carpet I remember like it is a second ago and, and, and I could see the call in my heart as to move out here. I've had always known that in the future that might happen. But it seemed urgent. And now, and I said, Lord, but I have a plan. And the scripture that came to my heart was, unless a carnal of seed falls to the ground and dies... It bears no fruit, but it falls to the ground, and if it bears fruit, and if it grows, it becomes the largest tree of the garden, and the birds of air will come and perch on it. At that moment, a a, a vision entered into my heart of just not living for yourself, actually being a place to perch for many others, and I was captivated by the vision, captivated by the call, but at the same time, I had a plan, right? And in that moment, it was in, I think, 2001, end of 2001, right after 9-11. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, all the plan I have built, all the plan my mother built, all the plan my aunt built, I see it coming down like the World Trade Center. And I was wretched in my heart. I was broken in my heart. I said, I don't know how to reconcile these two. How do I now... uh, betray my mother how do I now do this and it was such a struggle at that moment and this is what I said Lord I don't know how this would work but if I say yes I believe you'll make it work so I don't know how I will take one step beyond this moment in this carpet but I'll say yes hoping and believing that you will meet me there amen amen Well, where there was war with the family, there was war. Lord knows there was war. But God showed up. He did show up for me. I remember 25 family members came from all the way from Canada to St. Louis to sit down and tell me, what are you doing? And this is what they said. You're taking your life, putting it in the toilet, and flesh it goes. And it was true. The life I planned, that's what happened to it. But the plan God has for me was greater a hundredfold. A hundredfold. Had I gone with that plan, I would have been 50, 60 years old and I would have looked at myself in the mirror and would not even recognize me because that's not who I was made for. I would have looked at myself in the mirror and would not like who I see. I challenge you to be committed. Committed. And to be inconvenienced. To revisit your newborn experience. To live continuously out of that new birth experience. Are you living out of the new birth experience? What does that mean? You see, when Jesus healed the man and he told him, pick up your mat. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And when he walked, there was a lot of opinion. You can't do that. Don't do that. That's not allowed. But what did he answer? But the man who healed me, the man who gave me the encounters I've never had, the man who changed my life told me to do this. And he's the only one who has the right to tell me what to do with this life. He is the only one who has the right. The one who gave me life abundant is the only one who has the right to tell me what to do with it. So here's what I propose. In order to live the life God has for us, We must die to every form of who we are right now. I must die to every form of who I am now in order to live all that God has for me. I must rip off the rope, the pin, the turban, the title. Be willing to go low and down as far low as he wants me to go. Because if a seed is not committed to the soil, it cannot bear fruit. I pray in Jesus' name that today we will be able to check. And if you're wondering, look at even your life now. Is my life fruitful? I am born again, but my life is not fruitful. If that's you, check what you are following. Are you following the voice of the one who set you free? Are you living out of that newborn experience?